there is over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration CO2 emissions. Hi, and welcome back to Net Zero Carbon. I'm Tyler Cole, your host, and this is the show at Freight Waves where we focus on all things insightful and informational around sustainability in freight and logistics. Today, we're joined again by Brad Benbow, Business Growth Investments at RDA Group. Brad, how are you doing? Doing great, Tyler. Appreciate you guys having me on again. It's uh, great to be back. Good to see you again. Last time we spoke was at F3. We had our segment on empty miles that officially kicked off Convoy's hashtag no empty miles campaign. And I know we'll get a lot more results from that coming early next year, but I did just want to get you the chance to go a little bit deeper on your background. You know, we were pretty brief at F3. Let's give the listeners an opportunity to learn a little bit more about you, how you got involved in freight and ended up focusing on sustainability. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just, a, just a real quick nod to you guys. Hey, by the way, F3 was incredible. Um, that virtual event, you guys did it so well. Uh, you know, I, I know you guys probably got that uh, from a lot of people, but very rarely, you know, during this you know, pandemic, did we get something as, as fruitful as that. So kudos to you guys. You did a great job and, and your team over there at FreightWave. So thanks again for Thank putting you. that on. And, uh, yeah, it was great. But yeah, a little bit more about me. Um, you know, I got uh, got into the freight game uh, in a brokerage. Uh, no, see, six years, seven years ago now. Uh, graduated college, worked in advertising for a couple of years. Uh, you know, I was an account executive and a strategist. And and then ultimately decided I want to go into logistics for some for some weird reason, right? So uh, <laughs> going to large brokerage for a year just to get the ropes, uh, understand the ed- educational side of it more than anything. Uh, worked underneath a logistics account executive and, and really got really really got the ropes and understood ha- how it worked and you know what to really do. Uh, I then uh, started up my own book, did that for two years. Um, you know, really did all aspects. You know, the, the one source model of I gained the customers. You know, handled the the carrier. Uh, procurement side of things, as well as the customer uh, engagement. And it was great. You know, I really was able to get well-rounded and understanding, you know, okay, how, how can I properly support a customer while also ensuring that, you know, I'm protecting my book and my margins and delivering freight in, in a way that's uh, effective and efficient. And uh, that's really how I got my start. I then joined Arda as a national, national transportation coordinator, did that for just over a year. Uh, and then started the sourcing group for RDA. Um, did that for about two and a half years, and then moved into the business growth investments group to help start that up. And have been doing that uh, ever since. So, so it's been great. Nice. I love hearing backgrounds that are kind of similar to mine. People that start in freight brokerage and move on to different things, because most people, and I guess it's true, even if you're on the shipper side of the fence, you find your way into freight and then you can't get out. It's this ecosystem yeah. that you just involved in for the rest of your life, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And it's like you can't tear yourself away from it. And, you know, I, I was coming to the shipper side because, you know, what I was like, you know, one of the, the where I started my, my book at, they were an asset based company as well. So I had that asset based side. I had the brokerage side. And, and I was like, you know what, what why don't I uh, why don't I go on the shipper side and, and get a feel for what that's like? And, you know, wasn't even anticipating that being long term. Uh, but, you know, here we are and uh, you know, still working for a shipper and it's been great. Uh, it's probably been my favorite side so far. Absolutely. And it's so strategic and so important to understand um, your customers, right? You now have a clear view behind um, behind your customers' walls that you couldn't see when you were a supplier for them. And it, everything you're doing, if you ever end up on the other side of the fence back as a freight logistics operator, you'll have such a clear picture of the full ecosystem of what's needed. Not that many people make that move. I have a feeling once you graduate to a shipper, you kind of hang out for a while. So... <laughs> yeah, no doubt. But yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think uh, when you've been on the shipper side and then if you do go back at any point, 
the the insights that you have are you know astronomical, right? I mean, you're able to provide a whole different perspective to a freight brokerage or to an asset-based company that you might not have had otherwise. And it's a great call out. I think it's you know extremely valuable for folks that you see that go from the shipper back to the 3PL side. Definitely. Well, I love engaging with with people like you, Brad, because there's this intellectual curiosity that you sort of exhibit um, that I try to you know model my path after as well. And I think I'm probably not forward in saying this, but that that has probably led you to your role today at Ardar, right? If I follow your path, it's kind of similar to what mine was in certain respects, going from broker to shipper to trader to sustainability kind of advocate. Um, it seems like there's a lot of similarities there. How do you go from managing the freight bids at a large, you know, glass shipper to really working across not just freight within the organization? How do you carve that path to really have a broader focus and area of responsibility? Yeah, great, great question, Tyler. Um, you know, started out obviously on the national transportation coordinator side, excuse me, and you know that was more around the operational side, right? I'd done it before, but I hadn't done it for a shipper. So, you know, they want you to cut your teeth. You know, really work from the ground up. It's a great thing about Ardall. They like folks that really are well rounded. You know, not a lot of entitlement. It's really you know put in what you need to work for, and then you're going to earn yourself a spot somewhere else. And the, the RFP side and really just the whole carrier sourcing group, of, you know, laying out a strategy and a vision for the group was incredible. Great experience. It's really where I think I really started to thrive. You know, I am very 30,000 foot based. You know, I am able to understand and articulate where we need to go and why we need to go there to our to our executive team. Right. And then from there, we can you know work with the operations team to execute. Not necessarily my strongest suit. I can do it. But more than anything, you know, laying out a strategy and articulating why we need to go this route and why it's going to work is, is really my forte. Um, you know, but that led me to business growth investments. The business had, had came to me and said, hey, you know, we got these you know big projects that we're working on. Would you be interested in joining that team? And you know, having a focus on logistics and able to work with logistics still and pushing these projects forward for these plants has been exceptional. But also working across sustainability, operations, quality, you know, working and interacting with these folks that are just incredibly knowledgeable tyler it makes me feel so silly working with these folks it's just like man these guys are geniuses and here i am you know having the ability to work with them so it's really been incredible uh, it's been a great process Ardell has just been an incredible employer um have been super blessed and thankful to work with a company like that that's a good humble attitude to have i've found in my life it's true you know the longer you're around smart people the more you get told that you're one of them <laughs> and I, I don't feel i don't feel that way I definitely right, feel yeah. like a phony a lot of times when when people put me on a pedestal as an expert, but there's a lot mm -hmm. of truth to it, right? You just keep challenging yourself, yeah. keep growing, and you keep adding new skills without even really realizing it. So tell me, Brad, what's been some of your favorite projects that you've been able to work on in this new role? Yeah, that's a great question, Tyler. I, I think for me, the, my, my favorite one that I've worked on so far is probably around simulation work. So one thing we've worked on uh, just from a logistics perspective is when we're expanding our plants or building a new plant. What we like to do is take a look at our inside pallet movements and how they interact, obviously, with the truck getting loaded and our exterior pallet movements. That's truck getting loaded, you know, driving to a forward warehouse or to a customer and then back, right? And so in particular instances where we go straight to a DC and use that as customer fulfillment, we get a look at what our optimization and efficiency looks like for, for our fleets. And so as we ramp up, uh, produce more cans and thus, you know, create more truckloads, we're able to look, okay, do we have the right number of truck drivers? Do we have the right number of trailers in our fleet? And how can we optimize that as best as possible? And the simulation work really gives us a leg up to say, hey, we can, we can uh, you know, nip this in the bud now. So we, don't, we aren't you know, fixing a problem as it's happening when we're also trying to ramp up. 
And I think for me, that's been the coolest thing to work on. And we're doing that for each of our capital investment projects. That's exciting. So it's like a scenario planning exercise where you're prepared for all these multiple instances of eventualities that come could come through the network as you guys grow. Yeah, exactly. And and one thing that's really cool about it as well is you're able to see, you know, movements on your yard, right? So seeing how your yard jockey interacts with your with your fleet drivers and seeing, oh, hey, this could be a potential bottleneck or a potential, you know, safety concern. And then you're able to adjust from there, right? You're able to take those learnings and forward look to say, hey, this is what we need to avoid. We know it's a potential, uh, you know, possibility. Let's let's work around it. Absolutely. You're getting dangerously close to a lot of fun buzzwords. I know you talked about blockchain last time we were on, but that's very close to a digital twin type type scenario. What's a, how's Tyler. the tech stack that enables you guys to look at those sort of simulations? Yeah, you know, and I think we could go all day on that. You know, it was uh, we had just touched on it briefly. You know, I think after it on the F3 event, so. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think one thing that's been cool is, is we're partnering with folks that are really good on the simulation side. Um, you know, they, they're not only focused on sim and, and have great software, but they're also focused on safety as well. And it really gives us the ability to be well-rounded in our approach. Very nice. Very nice. Well, let's pivot a little bit towards emissions. It's a big pillar of RDOS sustainability uh, strategy, right, is how we lower and minimize emissions. And you guys are unique from a lot of other shippers in that you are so very manufacturing and energy heavy. Your scope one and your scope two emissions don't match, you know, the rhetoric is 90% of most companies' emissions live in their scope three. Uh, not not so true for RDOS. So when I think scope three emissions, in my world, we're talking about indirect freight spend. In your world, spanning the whole corporate organization, it's much broader than that. Can you talk about some emissions um, areas within that umbrella that you guys, that you've specifically worked on in this role? Yeah, yeah, certainly. So, you know, you're correct in, in stating that it is not the, our largest portion by any stretch of the imagination on the scope three side. It's actually our smallest one. However, it doesn't make it any less important. And Ardal has committed to, you know, reducing everywhere possible where we're able to. It's one great thing about Ardal is they're on the you know cutting edge of saying, hey, we are going to be out ahead of this and we're going to focus on it, and give it the attention it needs. Um, and, and regarding that on the scope three side, a lot of what we focus on it, you know, we touched briefly on it on, on F3, but not, you know, deep dive. Batching shipments is huge, keeping carriers in our network. And it really comes from, you know, that 30,000 foot view of like, how are we going to lay out our transportation strategy? Are we going to incorporate sustainability within that? And, and you know, more just on the nuts and bolts side of it, right? So how do we keep carrier X in our network? So when you drop off at one of our warehouses or one of our customers, how do we keep him in our network? To where he is, you know, returning dunnage or, you know, on a, on a lane that's a, in a, by a nearby plant to go to another warehouse, right? Those are the things we can try to do to limit empty miles, you know, not just through great partners like Convoy and, you know, other brokers we use that, that, that are just, you know, fantastic on keeping carriers within their, within their network. We want to do it ourselves too, right? We want to keep those asset-based carriers in our DOS network, you know, keep them busy, reduce their overall wait time. So, you know, their ROI is increased, right? You know, there's there's been this, you know, great conversation right now going around about, is there truly a driver shortage? And I know you guys have tracked it extremely well on the freight wave side. It's something I have as well. And, you know, the more I look at it, the more I see about wasted time in general, we might not actually have a driver shortage, right? We need to be more efficient, not only with time, but that's also going to come into play with reduced miles and, and emissions as well. And, you know, I think that's something we're going to start to look at, say, hey, are we being efficient on the loading side, on the unloading side? Are we being mindful of these drivers time and maximizing their efficiency in that regard? I, I think that's something we're really going to focus on moving forward. Absolutely. And it makes too much sense because it's the low hanging fruit. 
and I say low hanging fruit, we all know it's difficult, right? When you're siloed and <laughs> in your own little world, it's very difficult to, uh, to optimize the entire simulation, right? You just have a view, it's not a global view. You just have your micro view of what you can optimize. So I like that partnership with Convoy. I like hearing about that. It's takes me back to my brokerage days, right? That was your your money maker on a margin backhaul when you had an empty mile. Just Absolutely. match the right load and the right carrier and you can get there all day. Yeah. And that's honestly that's why the brokerage game is so big today, because once we started deregulation, you needed someone to help you manage those relationships and turn trucks faster. And it's just interesting that we've come as far as as we have and we still are tackling the same problems just with better tools. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, you, you touched on it, you know, the, the keeping, keeping the carriers in your network when you're, you know, had to do a drop off, getting that same return on the backhaul. That's economical too, right? You know, we had touched briefly, Tyler, on we need to make sure sustainability is in fact sustainable, right? We need to make sure from an economical perspective, we are keeping that in mind. We've got to make something that works and that, you know, at the end of the day, shippers and, and carriers are going to be like, hey, I can't do this anymore because it's econ not economically feasible, right? You know, we, we've seen how we can make it happen. And the more work we put in together between shipper, between carrier, between broker to make it economically feasible, the, the better chance we have of this thing working extremely long term and, and really changing a generation. Well, Brad, let's put on our forward thinking caps a little bit as we start to think about the future of freight networks and low carbon fuels. Obviously, electrification is, is in the midst of its own hype cycle. Where do you see some EV type options playing out, maybe within RDOS network or in the broader transportation network here in, in North America and in Europe? Yeah, uh, Tyler, I think from RDOS perspective, there are certainly areas we're able to focus on the potential of uh, them being there uh, on the fleet side, you know, on, on the class eight vehicles, you know, certainly it's going to be in a dedicated fleet format somewhere we, where we can say localized, you know, while the infrastructure gets built out in the United States, it's probably going to remain local. So some of our local fleets will begin to you know, take a look at and work with our partners to see, hey, is electrification something you guys are going to be able to absorb as well with us, right? You know, we'll be able to offset that within contracts, but, you know, is it something we can take a look at? And the conversations we've had thus far have gone great. You know, we've we've uh, spoken with partners who, who work with uh, folks like a likes of Volvo, for example. And, you know, they're saying, "Hey, we're, we're rolling out these these EVs. You know, get up uh, on the head of the list and let's you know let's get it going. Let's get into an art off facility, which is fantastic." And you know, building upon that even more, you know, within our 2021 sustainability report, you can see at certain plants where we've gone totally totally electric within our um, forklift and, and rolling stock uh, segment. Right. I mean, this is another area where you know propane was used and. You know, it's not as big of a sector, but you can see, you know, the steps we're taking um, to either use complete, completely automated guided vehicles or something like that, right? Uh, to where there is a forklift with a with an EV or an AGV that's that's moving around our product. So certainly taking steps to, you know, go further down on that electrification, and, and hopefully we can, you know, um, uh, take take a look at that across the whole country. Yeah, it's really exciting. And when you're saying kind of at the facility with the forklifts and the yard dogs, that's both inside the facility and outside. You guys are trying to electrify that by kind of like first touch. Yeah, absolutely. So on the product, well, let's, let's say on the production side, right? So on the production side, that's going to be a, an AGV, which is an automated guided vehicle or an electric forklift manned, right? So either way, it's completely using electricity and not using any fossil fuels, right? Which is fantastic. Um, on the outside of the building, right? We're going to talk about, that's going to be the yard dog. You know, can we, acquire a yard dog that's completely electric, which we, you know, which we're looking at. And, you know, on the yard side of it, now we're not using any diesel, which would be, again, that would be amazing. So we're, we're getting electric inside and outside of the building, moving our trailers around, back them into docks, you know, it, it'd just be fantastic. Yeah, that's a great solution. I think that's one that scales much faster, especially mm -hmm. in the right 
geography with the right amount of incentives, right, to put those in mm-hmm. in operation immediately. When you yeah, think about exactly. middle mile, right, going to your customers, you guys typically with your weight and your freight profile, like intermodal, oftentimes can be a tough opportunity for glass shippers. Um, maybe not so much on the metal side, maybe it's easier, but you know, that's the low hanging fruit. Most people kind of run to is let's get off a truck and onto another mode. That doesn't, mm-hmm. is that a big play for you guys within your freight network strategy? It, it is. I mean, we try to, right. I mean, and it actually, you know, surprisingly works more on the glass side than it does on the, the art all metal beverage side, because on the metal beverage side is, is the tin can or the, not the tin cans, they're, they're aluminum cans, the aluminum cans, they can dent easier, right. And it becomes a quality issue. So we're not able to load on intermodal as much as we would like to however on the glass side you know we're able to prevent scuffing in other areas that you might not be able to uh you know usually go on intermodal with but you know we're able to use creative ways to get around that and we utilize it wherever we can unfortunately you know being in a just-in-time market which i know you know you get that from from the freight brokers world the just-in-time market makes it really difficult to, you know, to, to use intermodal right because we might be going straight from the production line on its hold and then on to the customer to get filled and, you know, with the timing on intermodal, you just can't always get away with that. So on the middle mile, we have to get really creative with, you know, how we're able to use and, and reduce our scope three emissions when when the easy one, which is that low hanging fruit of intermodal, isn't available. And and just as much of that decision process happens upstream at determining which facilities to produce which SKUs, right? I remember being a broker taking glass bottles, you know, from Colorado to Texas, and there's a glass plant just down the street from the facility in yeah. Texas. So it's that creative or potentially the problem of a customer having multiple suppliers trying to get that glass in at the right time can be really cumbersome. I remember those days. Yeah, absolutely. That That's the biggest thing is, you know, not only, yeah, of course we would want everybody to use us completely solely, right? You know, so we produce mm-hmm. all of their metal, all of their glass and, you know, boom, one-stop shop and we're good to go. However, when you do bring in multiple vendors into the, uh, the, the, the piece of the puzzle, it's, you know, where's it coming from, which day, which week of the month, you know, all that sort of stuff, it intertwines and it gets really tricky, of, you know, can from the production side, can we manufacture this efficiently at a certain location when it's on shop for X amount of times? And that's when collaboration internally with production planning and, you know, all that comes into play with manufacturing and operations. And it gets really tricky because you're not only looking at just one piece of the supply chain, now you're looking at the entire thing. And when it's on a piecemeal basis like that, it gets, gets tricky. Especially with many hands in the pot, <laughs> trying to make changes and adjust things last minute. Talk yes, to me yeah, a little yeah. bit about the the strategy from the procurement team around measuring, right? My, one of my fears as we continue to see momentum in this space is that under-resourced asset-based carriers, especially, um, continue to have to report and report and report and audit and survey RFQ and RFP. And it, it just becomes a, a resource suck for these guys who historically have operated in, in pretty tight margin environments. Um, how does Arda approach adding people to your network? Do you only work with SmartWay? I know that's a big piece of the strategy. Um, how do you, do you dynamically measure emissions or is it all just kind of historical reporting based on SmartWay? Yeah, so currently it is all, you know, backward looking, um, uh, Tyler. So, I mean, it's, it's historical. I think one of the things we're going to look forward to most uh, in the future is seeing how we can u- do it on a dynamic basis, right? And as far as the carrier sourcing side, you know, yes, we want to only sign up SmartWay carriers. That is the ultimate goal. If there is a need in our network, though, to where, hey, it's best for RDAL, we use this carrier, and it, it ultimately is going to reduce our emissions, even if we're not able to capture it, we're going to do that just for the greater good and use a non-SmartWay carrier if we absolutely have to. However, 99% of the time, if we sign up someone new, which is 
you know, rarely it's, they're going to be a smart way carrier. Uh, and we're going to focus on ensuring we can capture that data to, to best, you know, look backwards to know how we can move forwards. Definitely. That seems to be the hurdle that we have in the, in the near term is that it's such a fragmented industry that that data exchange and access is just not very democratic and allowing us to dynamically measure what we want to monitor. Um, I do think that there's going to be some solutions coming on that, you know, in the next few years, especially as standards start to become more commonly used, you know, things like GLEC over in Europe. I know you guys have a big presence over there. So there's, there's more coming. There's even the ISO standard. I know ISO is a big piece of your sustainability strategy within each of your buckets of measurement. Uh, so the ISO value chain emissions accounting will be a really important tool that comes out in the next year or so. Certainly. Yeah. And, and you know, Tyler, I think another really interesting piece of this, and you had touched on it a little bit earlier, is the, is the data piece of this, right? We need to be able to not only get that data, but I think as, as a whole, not, not to start off, but as a, as a you know, uh, transportation industry, we got to be able to understand how to interpret that data. We need to scrub it and say, hey, what, how are we going to make this data effective, not just gather data to gather it, right? And this has been a, you know, a buzz topic for years, like, oh, how can we properly clean data? And you'll be able to look at it and interpret it, interpret it that actually for something that actually drives change. I still think there are areas that we miss on that, right? We're collecting data at times just to collect it and not actually using it to say, uh, hey, this is we're using this data to make this decision now. And, and, and now we're able to articulate why why we're making that decision based off the data. I think that's something as an industry we still struggle with. And, and I think it could get better. And I'm hoping, you know, you're right down the line that it does, that we're able to, you know, work with partners as a whole and, you know, get better on making that those type of decisions uh, from a very qualitative perspective. Well, if you end up with an outcome that encourages that data to be clean and useful and you start to see people take advantage of it and move the market, I think that's where you see more and more people. It's a it's a flywheel. They start to give you better clean data because now we're using it in a way that meaningfully impacts economic outcomes, right? That's typically what Great we've point. seen. I know Freightways, Freightways likes to to be a an arbiter of that data, right? And make con- context around what's happening in the underlying market, aggregating disparate sources of data and putting it in a useful uh, kind of business insight for users. Um, we hope to do that on our carbon intelligence product that we'll we'll have to talk about early in Q1 next year once we release our beta. But um, we'd actually love to have RDOT be involved with that too. So maybe after this call, you and I can download for just a little bit. <laughs> 100%. What's up on the horizon for you in Q1 next year? What are you guys looking forward to? Any projects you can speak about that you're working on? Yeah, you know, obviously they're going to be implementing the, the, the uh, bid that the sourcing group just uh, wrapped up in Q4 this year, they're going to ensure that they got the route guides and everything uploaded in a timely manner and work with the carriers on adaption and saying, hey, you know, how can how can we best roll this out to, for, for achievement for the, for the company? That's an exciting one. I know they're working on from a personal perspective, just continuing to you know work on uh, plants that, that we're bringing up, adding lines to and, and building new ones and, and on the logistics side specifically on these projects, you know, using this, these simulations that we've conducted and interacting them now with, with the fleets that are coming into play. So for instance, on one of them down in the Carolinas uh, on a plant that we're ramping up, that fleet's about to switch over and it's gonna be, you know, fully automated uh, from the production side. It's gonna, you know, on, on conveyors all the way to loading a roller bed trailer, unloading at the warehouse is automated as well, which is an, an extremely encouraging. And it's, it's exciting as well, but the, you know that's going to be coming down the pipe and, and actually impl- implementing in Q1. So it's going from the simulation to now. Okay, we're here. How do we how do we make this you know a, a very smooth transition? So re- really excited about that one in particular. That's exciting. 
I know the anticipation yeah. of a lot of those things going live gets to build. So I hope it goes really smoothly. <laughs> I hope you and your family, we're, we're filming this before the holidays. So I hope you guys enjoy Christmas. And I look forward to having you on sometime next year where we can discuss some of the outcomes of some of these projects and hopefully talk about carbon intelligence and, and where the industry is headed. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate you guys having me, Tyler. It's been uh, great speaking with you. And, and again, just like F3 was a blast, this was as well. So looking forward to doing it again. Always informative and fun, man. We'll do it again soon. Thank you, Brad. Sounds great. Yep. Yeah.